Good morning, ladies. This is Tristy Fisher, and we are so excited to begin this summer's Women's Bible Study. You may have noticed from whether it's emails or blog spots or announcements on Sunday morning that we will have four sessions, and it's called the Fab Four, which is super fun. We're going to study the Word today. We're going to talk specifically about the book of John. Next week will be Sarah Malone and Becky Segrist talking about missions in the world. Robin Walls will join us and talk about how to really have a heart for hospitality and welcoming the world to your home. And then lastly, there will be a time where we can give back as a group of women who love Jesus. And that is through a, uh, a works project that's been put together. Now, I'm so excited to be here with you guys because this Bible study has been on my heart for maybe about two or three months. Humorously, I wrote it seriously on an envelope in the hallway, sitting down, putting my children to sleep, waiting for them to go to sleep. And the Lord just put the book of John on my mind because it is my very favorite gospel. Uh, my, my favorite quotes is that John is the only book in which a child can wade and an elephant can float. Now, many of you know that I was on staff at Campus Crusade for Christ for about five years, and every time we had somebody trust Christ with us, what do you think the first book is that we sent them to? John. The fourth gospel of John. Why? Because it is so full of Christology. Christology is a fancy theological term for a lot about Christ. This is the book in which he himself speaks of himself. He identifies himself as seven different I am's. There are seven miracles to prove his deity, but he is the one identifying himself. And so that's what's so beautiful about sending new believers to the book of John as the first book because they get to know Jesus. Now, I'm going to divide this talk into three points. One is an overview of John, two is the seven I am's that Jesus spoke. And thirdly, we're going to talk about the context of John 7, 37 through 39. Now, I know a lot of you are sitting there thinking, Tristy, we already did this about two weeks ago, didn't we? On June 16th. And we did. But my dear friends, David Cooper and Gary Peterson, who always faithfully record these messages, we something happened with our recording and we only got 14 minutes of the message and the boys said let's try again so we were going to tape the whole message for you so you could have access to it said you want to go back and, and restudy the book of john um said that you want to go back and point it to a new believer say that you yourself want to meditate on the seven ims you're going to have it right at your fingertips at grace's website the book of john bible study that i wrote i entitled living water for a thirsty soul Living water for a thirsty soul, because to me, that is who Jesus Christ is. In the overview of John, point one, let's look at a few facts about the gospel and the apostle. few facts about the book and the apostle. It's the fourth gospel, as we know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The author is John, or as he's nicknamed, the beloved apostle, the other apostle, and the apostle whom Jesus loved. I think my favorite is the fact that he calls himself the other apostle. That just shows a heart of humility. The date that this gospel is written is between AD 85 and 90. 
The audience John wrote to is primarily Gentiles. You'll remember that almost every gospel is written to a certain people group. Matthew to the Jews, John to the Gentiles. Interestingly, Matthew quotes the Old Testament far more frequently than John does because John understands he's writing to Gentiles. Jesus himself quotes the Old Testament profusely. But as John observes and is spirit-filled and writes this book, writes this gospel, he writes to a primarily Gentile audience. The reason John wrote the book, I think, is the answer to the question all people have had since the beginning of time. Who is Jesus Christ? That question has been asked by probably more people in more situations than any other question in history. Who is he? Is he a good man? Is he the son of God? Is he, as some religions say, simply a prophet? Is he the creator? Is he God in the flesh? I'm convinced that's why John wrote this gospel, because he wanted to show Jesus, in fact, is the son of God, the lamb of God, the shepherd, and all the other seven I am's that we will talk about. John's also known as one of the sons of thunder, which gives me super encouragement if this guy's called Son of Thunder and yet later called the Beloved Gospel. I keep thinking, well, hey, hey, there's hope for gentleness yet. John's called one of the Sons of Thunder or Sons of Zebedee. You remember in another chapter, their mama, James and John's mama, asks Jesus that her sons be foremost in position in Jesus's kingdom, which is an amazing story, but at the same time, just like all of us, we all want to be the leader. We all want to be put first. And as Jesus plainly told them, they did not know what they were asking for. They didn't know the suffering entailed, but their mother wanted them to be in those positions of authority. The son of thunder is a rough and tumble fisherman. John also is the beloved apostle. This is absolutely fascinating to me that the Apostle John wrote John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. Five books in our New Testament are written by this fisherman. This fisherman that laid on Jesus' breast. This fisherman that eventually ended his life exiled and banished to the Isle of Patmos after being boiled in oil. This fisherman that seemed to observe rather than speak. It's fascinating to me. Nearly all commentators agree that the book of John is probably the best book to describe who Jesus says he is. It is exceedingly evangelistic. We mentioned, according to tradition, John did not die a martyr. One of the only disciples that did not die a martyr. One of the only apostles, excuse me. But he was banished to the Isle of Patmos after being boiled in oil. Now, to me, that's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor there because he died years later, they say, of a natural death. And I think, how do you be boiled in oil and die a natural death? <laughs> kind of kind of sounds a little painful. And lastly, the book of John has 21 chapters. So, as you look back at your notes, point one is your overview of the book of John. Christology is the major area of focus, and the last point here of our point one overview of John is one of my absolute favorite Greek words. It is pastuo. Pastuo. It means believe. 
And here is a fantastic thing, ladies. This word is listed 90 times in the book of John. Pastuo, the word for believe, is listed 90 times in the book of John. I think he's trying to make a point. And I think it's exceedingly clear that Jesus presents himself as the savior of the world. Now that's your first point, your overview. Of course, there are the seven signs, the seven miracles. But really, I wanted to camp on the seven IMs for us as our second point, And I will tell you why. I wanted you guys to do the work for seven signs of the seven miracles. And you're already very familiar with them. Turning of the water to wine, healing the official son in Capernaum, feeding the 5,000, raising Lazarus, which is my favorite. As you work through the seven signs, you'll be able to find them very, very easily because it's all in between chapters 2 and 11. So I'll leave that to you, ladies, so it can write itself on your heart and you can learn it for yourselves. Let's pop down to point two, seven IMs. Seven IMs. This is absolutely, I think the proper word might be astounding (laughs) in that Jesus Christ calls himself I am. And here's why. Many of us know that culturally raised religious Jews who are not believers in Jesus as Yahweh, as Messiah, would have heard Jesus say, I am, as blasphemous. They themselves did not ever call God by this name. He wasn't even called Yahweh. As a matter of fact, I remember being clearly in a a ghetto in Prague, a Jewish ghetto in Prague, and we saw a synagogue where they would not even point to his name, Y-H-W-H, There was a finger pointer to point to the name of God. It was beautiful. It showed extreme reverence for the Father's name. And that is what's so absolutely mind-blowing here, is that Jesus doesn't say, I am, once. He says it seven times, and he says it in seven different ways. Number one, chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus Christ says, I am the bread of life. He is making himself equal with God. By saying, I am. Number two, I am the light of the world. Chapter 8, verse 12. Number three, I am the door of the sheep. Chapter 10, verse 7. Number four, he is the good shepherd. He calls himself, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 10, verse 11. Number five, he calls himself the resurrection and the life. After raising Lazarus, as you remember, Chapter 11, verse 25. In, on number 6, he says very, very, very clearly, perhaps the most profound verse in this entire 21-chapter book. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. And the last seventh I am statement is that Jesus Christ calls himself the true vine. Chapter 15, verse 1, and also in verse 5. In these seven IMs, it's got to grip us that it is radical that he is standing up and announcing himself in this way. He knows who he is. This isn't meek and mild flannel graph Jesus. This is big and bold. I created the world. I created you. I am the only way that you can get to heaven. And yet, I am the good 
shepherd. I provide nourishment for you as the bread of life. I provide light for you to see. I love it how in these seven I am's, two of them are about being a shepherd. Number three, the door of the sheep, chapter 10, verse seven. And number four, the good shepherd, chapter 10, verse 11. He regards caring for our souls very, very seriously. And then he becomes ex- exclusive. Ex- then he becomes exclusive. Let's say this in English. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What do I think about that? Do I believe it? The discussion question I asked our very first group when I taught this June 16th was, which is the most significant one to you today? Of all of the seven I am's, which is the most significant one to you today? That's your point two. Point one, the overview of John. Point two, the seven I am's. And thirdly, point three, why did I choose Living Water for a Thirsty Soul as a title for this Bible study, the book of John? Here's why. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Let's think about the context first before we go straight to the verse. The context is this. At this time, the Jews had a ceremony of carrying water from the pool of Siloam, which many of you remembered. Siloam means scent. They would make a very solemn procession all the way to the pool of Siloam and fill a silver vessel with this water. They would walk it back and pour it by the altar of burnt offerings. You remember the burnt offerings were for sin offerings. They would do this each day for the first seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now there's seven days in the Feast of Tabernacles. Seven is not a number to miss here, as you can tell. This ritual made them remember the water from the rock during the wilderness wanderings. They wanted to remember it. They wanted to honor the fact that God himself had provided the water. Now, the last day, this was not done. The ritual was over. And that's what made Jesus' words about living water and eternal life so shocking. Can you imagine being a cultural Jew, watching this entire celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles, you've watched them take the water from the Pool of Siloam and pour it as a burnt offering. Everything is done. Ritual over. Game over. And on that last day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus Christ himself stood and cried out in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being or heart shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit whom those who had believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's look back at the text. The verse says, On the last day, day seven, of the Feast of Tabernacles, we just discussed this, Jesus stood and cried out. He did not mumble and he did not stay seated. He stood and cried out with a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, and this includes many Old Testament references, not just one, Isaiah 58, 11, Zechariah 14, 8, Numbers 24, 7. From his innermost being or heart shall flow rivers of living water. 
This he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who had not believed in, in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had not been crucified on the cross. He had not been ascended to heaven. So we have not hit Acts chapter 1 and 2 yet, where the Spirit comes upon the apostles and the disciples. Now what fascinates me too here is that water in Scripture is referred to, get this, 51 different times. There are 51 references to water in the Old Testament and New Testament, all the way from Genesis 1, when God says he moved over the waters, Exodus 1, God saw that Moses was drawn out of the water, Psalm 1, you will be like a tree planted by water, Jeremiah 2, my people are drinking out of filthy cisterns instead of living water, Matthew through Acts, all of the New Testament, Ephesians 5, the cleansing of the water by the word, and Revelation 22. He who thirsts, let him come. The water is free. Simply believe. Discussion question we did that day, June 16th, you might remember, on point three. Was, I put a bottle of water in the middle of each table. Actually, Carolyn Jones did. Put a bottle of water in the middle of each table. And I asked the ladies one question. What observational comments can you make about that bottle of water? What do you see? And here were some of the answers. Pure, clean, it cleanses, it renews, it quenches. And we all know it's got to be running to be useful. Nobody calls their neighbor and says, is your water stagnant? We always call and say, is your water running? You and I both know pure, clear, cleansing, renewing, quenching water fills our soul like nothing else. A person can live days with no solid food, but a mere three days without any kind of hydration. I want to wrap up today with your application. Your day's hydration is simple. It is pastuo, as you remember from point one. Believe. Believe. Jesus says it in the book of John. When the crowd says, what must we do to do the things of God? to do the works of God. And Jesus says very clearly, believe on him whom he has sent. Pastuo, are you worried about a job today? Pastuo, believe. Are you worried about your marriage? Pastuo, believe that God can change it. Are you worried about your kids? Pastuo, believe, pray for them. Believe he can change them and grow them and trust them to him. Worried about your health? Pray about that and believe he can heal you. And most importantly, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, Tristy, I do not know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I don't know him as living water, but I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need help. When I pray, simply ask Jesus to come into your heart. Pastuo, believe that he loves you. Pastuo, believe that he died for you. Pastuo, believe that he is your good shepherd and has a plan for your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge you as the living water, as the one whom we adore and love. As I think of my sisters, those who heard this live, and those who are going to hear it on the internet, Father, I pray that they would indeed, Pastuo, believe an active word of entrusting oneself to another, that they may trust you as Savior. If they wonder if uh, I can't come to Jesus, I've sinned too much, 
Father, remove that lie. You tell us in your own word that you were made for sinners, not for the righteous. You came as a hospital. You came for the weak. You came for me. I ask that you would show yourself strongly on their behalf. Let them receive you, believe on you, place their trust on you, and find you as living water that quenches every thirst they have. Those of us that are believers that have placed our faith in Christ, we know nothing satisfies like Jesus Christ. Not the best marriage, not the best kids, not the best job, not the finest home, not fame, not power, not friends, not anything. Jesus Christ is the living water and only he can quench our thirst. In Jesus' name, amen.